This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. How do you tell your kid who's been growing up here for 14 years that technically you're illegal? They're called dreamers and they have concerns. Who is actually creating a danger? And right now, the answer to that question is our government. And there's different fear on all sides. But for the 12 to 15 million other people who are living here in the shadows, doing nothing but just trying to make a living and care for their family, and they're not doing any harm, in fact, they're enhancing our communities, we need to create a process to bring them out of the shadows. Immigration and the politics of fear, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. The clock is ticking down toward expiration of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, provisions. First put in place through executive order by President Barack Obama, the provisions were rescinded through executive order by President Donald Trump. The Obama order was designed to be a temporary measure until legislation could be passed by Congress. A provision of the Trump order kept DACA in place for six months, in which time presumably Congress would finally take action on the topic. But that deadline is fast approaching. At issue, what to do with so-called dreamers, people who were brought to the United States from other countries at an early age without documentation, but who have since been educated in U.S. schools and consider this country to be home. It's one thing rhetorically to say those in this country illegally should be sent back to where they came from. But the issue of how to handle those for whom the United States is home and who came here with no say in the matter has proven more problematic. Madeline McCormick is a fourth-year student majoring in digital media at Buena Vista University in Storm Lake. That city is one of several in Iowa, including in particular Marshalltown and Muscatine, which experienced a large influx of immigrants in the late 1980s and early 1990s. She conducted reporting on the topic of immigration by talking with police officers, lawyers, DACA recipients, and dreamers for a series of podcasts. She adapted the material for the Iowa Watch Connection and has our story. The next day, where like it really hit me, and like I started crying, and then my my dad I called my dad because he's the first person I always call, and like even though he tries to tell me like don't worry I'll worry about it like it's like well I understand that you want to worry about it but like it's my it's my whole life like what can you do if they come to the door and say like you can't be here anymore. Iran Carlos moved to the United States with her young parents and unborn sibling at nine months old. Life in the United States is all she has ever known. Her two younger sisters are American-born citizens, but with the recent DACA repeal, Iran and the other 800,000 dreamers in the U.S. wait in fear of what's to come in the next few months. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA, is an Obama-era executive order designed to retain immigrant children and young adults living undocumented in the United States. Junior high, yeah, 14 years old, all my friends started getting learnings, learner's permits to start to drive. And I wanted a learner's permit because I wanted to drive. And like I asked my parents, and they just were very quiet on it. Like, how do you tell your kid who's been growing up here for 14 years that, oh, you, well, you can't because 
technically you're illegal, like undocumented, which I prefer. Former President Obama introduced this program in 2012. Iran was 15. Mom was straight on it. She had been working on it for um, months, um, finding because the government required that you prove that you were here for the whole time since the minute you arrived until the minute you applied, that you were here in the United States, that you never once left. And, well, my parents never left because there was nothing for us in Mexico. So my mom gathered everything she could from school reports to um, receipts from swimming lessons, every photograph, every scrap that you could get to prove to the government that I was here this whole time. And, of course, she had to pay because it's expensive. The DREAM Act was potential legislation giving permanent resident status to undocumented immigrant youth for up to eight years without deportation, allowing them to work legally in the U.S. To obtain permanent resident status, individuals had to do things like prove their residence in the U.S. began at age 17 or younger through documentation specified in the bill, pass a government background check, demonstrate good moral conduct, and submit medical examinations. They even had to prove that they could be admitted to a university or, at the very least, obtain a high school diploma or GED. Last but not least, the fee Iran was talking about, $465. Once I got my DACA permit, I was able to get a state ID and then eventually a driver's license. I was able to start working. My first job was Subway. I was able to apply for college. wasn't able to apply for financial aid, which I didn't know until I um, was talking to an admissions counselor. And then I talked to my cousin who helped at a lawyer, immigration lawyer's office and said, that yeah, you can't apply for financial aid because even though you have some sort of documentation, you're still not a U.S. citizen. Some U.S. citizens fear that immigration is more of a drain on our resources, taking away American jobs, providing for their living expenses on taxpayer-funded welfare checks. As Iran stated, even though you have some sort of documentation, it isn't enough to declare you a U.S. citizen, so immigrants don't reap any of the benefits Americans have for saving money, and for her, college preparation. According to the American Civil Liberties Union, the National Research Council, and the National Academy of Sciences, immigrants generate $80,000 in public revenue, exceeding their public costs over time. In 2007, the Council of Economic Advisors said that the long-run impact of immigration on public budgets is likely to be positive. So if immigrants are bringing in more money than they are costing the U.S., why put up a wall to keep them out? deficit with Mexico of $58 billion a year. And that doesn't include all the drugs that are pouring across and destroying our country. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, the Mexican drug war has been at the forefront of this issue for nearly a decade. In 2006, Mexican President Felipe Calderón began extensive counter-narcotics campaign addressing the number of deaths to citizens, journalists, politicians, and students alike. The United States has contributed $2 million in resources to aid Mexico's efforts. But the presidential administration's primary focus is cutting off the flow of drugs into the U.S. by bolstering our borders and stacking law enforcement personnel. So my position and the position of many of my peers and on some national task force that I serve on is uh, we do need strong borders. And if you're committing crimes, we need to go after you. And if you're committing serious crimes and you're not lawfully here, you need to be deported. I sat down with Mark Prosser, the chief of police serving the most diverse community in the state of Iowa. Storm Lake is home to over 22 different ethnic groups, and many different languages are spoken throughout the community. 
Prosser has been in contact with many individuals in the community, immigrants and born and raised Buena Vista County natives alike, teaching him the value in diversity. So how does a small farming community in northwest Iowa become a hot zone of races and languages and cultures? Three words, the meatpacking industry. But for the, whatever the number is, 12 to 15 million other people who are living here in the shadows, uh, doing nothing but just trying to make a living and care for their family, and they're not doing any harm. In fact, they're enhancing our communities. We need to create a process to bring them out of the shadows. Tyson Foods and Hillshire Brands began as competitors in Storm Lake in the 1980s and 1990s. But in 2014, Tyson bought Hillshire, combining the meatpacking giants in town to an employee-seeking mega plant. To address the crime rate, Prosser says there's actually less immigrant crime, for lack of a better term, and generally races commit crimes unto their own. Sometimes we learn from the major employers where they are recruiting, and they'll let us know, you know, we're going to be bringing in a large group of Burmese uh, or uh, Cuban or individuals like that. And so in that way, we can prepare and have... um, some prediction of you know what we need to do. In other cases, we'll just come across in our normal uh, business and calls for service a new ethnic group. Regardless of Trump's rhetoric calling for higher border security to combat the flow of drugs into the country and overall crime, there's actually less crime coming from undocumented immigrants than documented citizens. Last March, Trump proposed voice, or victims of immigration crime engagement, to keep a record of all the crimes committed by those living undocumented in the United States. It was notably a direct response to the death of Catherine Steinel, a woman killed by an undocumented immigrant in 2015. There's just one problem. Decades of studies show that immigrants are less likely to commit crime in the United States than native-born citizens. Since 1990, immigrant prison rates have decreased roughly half a percent, which is seemingly nothing, until we see that citizen crime has risen steadily since 1980, never dropping, from 5 to 35 percent. And since the introduction of immigrants in the 1990s to approximately 2013, the violent crime rate has dropped nearly 48 percent, according to the FBI. I don't care if you're an immigrant or not. We just don't address it that way. You know, we do track arrests by ethnicity and gender here. We've done it for over 20 years, and we report that publicly. There's very few departments that do that. There's never been a year, ever, where one particular group was disproportionately involved in crime than the other. So as an example, early in the 90s when our Hispanic population was 5% of our community, they represented 5% of the crime. They didn't represent 50% of the crime. Um, now that percentage of involvement grew, but their numbers grew. They All of a sudden they were 25% of the community, matching numbers, 25% of the crime. And we've tracked that year after year after year by you know, our Hispanic, our Asian, our black, or whatever always matching appropriately to the percentage of their representation. So no one group of anybody has ever skewed that number and been disproportionately involved. More on immigration and the politics of fear when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. I'm Sarah Fields, Marketing and Public Relations Director at the nonprofit Iowa Watch. Iowa Watch is part of an exciting funding opportunity through Newsmatch, a national campaign supported by Democracy Fund, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, in partnership with the Institute for Nonprofit News and the News Revenue Hub. Every dollar you donate right now to Iowa Watch will be matched by Newsmatch. 
please consider giving through this great opportunity by going to the donate button at the top of iowawatch.org. Thank you for listening to our report today. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double-check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from AARP Iowa. Every two seconds, someone's identity gets stolen. That's why AARP launched the Fraud Watch Network to arm people of all ages with the tools they need to spot and avoid scams. Learn how to protect yourself at aarp.org slash fraudwatchnetwork. That's aarp.org slash Fraud Watch Network. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our report now prepared by Buena Vista University student Madeline McCormick on immigration and the politics of fear. The numbers in Storm Lake reflect the numbers throughout the country. So if the numbers are showing less crime, and it seems as though undocumented immigrants are staying low on the police radars... What are we so afraid of? The real question we should be looking at regarding fear in the United States is who is actually creating a danger to someone? And right now, the answer to that question is our government is creating a danger to undocumented immigrants by refusing to help refugees worldwide and leaving them in very dangerous, violent situations by refusing to acknowledge the dangers that kids are facing in Central America and trying to lessen the protections those kids receive when they come to our southern border and seek asylum by taking away the DACA status and making people who finally become safe subject to potential deportation to places they've never known. Maybe they don't even speak the language. That's a real reason to be afraid. I spoke briefly over the phone with Jessica Moffitt, a Des Moines area-based lawyer and a member of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. Her regular clients are victims of crime, undocumented immigrants seeking sometimes free or reduced legal assistance. Many of her clients fear immigration officials coming to their doors and deporting them back to their countries, leaving their family members, jobs, friends, and entire lives here in the United States. The thing to understand about DACA is we're talking about taking a group of people who grew up watching all of their friends have life opportunities that they knew they could never have, just going to college and starting a family and planning for your future with 
the expectation that your future is on a set course, that it's not subject to being interrupted at any moment by a knock on the door to my While it's arguably a minor crime and a popular mistake of U.S. citizens to drive without a license, it is still a crime. Immigrants are making these decisions to make a living in this country. In Iowa, the fear of immigrants because of the crime they bring is real, too. Iowa Representative Steve King has a section front and center on the homepage of his website titled Illegal Immigrant Crime, sharing police reports and news updates about the crime committed by undocumented immigrants. It's like any other populations, you know, there's always going to be those that, you know, commit crimes. And and I don't I don't believe that just because one person does something, you should label that whole race or based on race that everybody's going to be like that. So I just that's just promoting hate among a specific race. And that makes me so sad. King's comments about immigration reflect rhetoric similar to President Trump. King claims to understand that there are some immigrants who do good, like the valedictorians of their high school class, but had something to say about the remainder of those he calls illegal. It's true in some cases, but they aren't all valedictorians. They weren't all brought in by their parents. Uh, For everyone who's a valedictorian, there's another hundred out there that um, they weigh 130 pounds and they've got calves the size of cantaloupes because they're hauling 75 pounds of marijuana across the desert. For immigrants like Iran and Ophelia, their experience does not reflect King's claims. Iran came to the U.S. with her parents, and without a choice. This is the only life she's ever known. Ophelia came here with her mother's sister when she was 16 to assist her widowed aunt with three young children. When her family discussed Ophelia's transition, her fear of moving to another country was a direct fear of the unknown. Like Honestly, I didn't understand that fact that what he meant to be undocumented. I didn't understand what he meant to be in a country where you're not, you don't belong to. Ophelia came to the United States in 2000. She arrived before 9-11, arguably before our borders faced significant threat from outsiders and before our country battened down on strict travel guidelines. After 9-11, our country feared outsiders more than ever, putting Ophelia's fear of being discovered and unable to attend school at the forefront of her memory. The ones that were driving the airplanes were students that had gone to universities here in the United States and they got trained, uh, you know, as pilots at U.S. universities. So they were talking about immigrants were not going to be allowed to go to school here anymore because, you know, like trying to to prevent uh, something like that to happen again, which is not the case. But at that time, I remember the community that I'm from in Mexico is really, really small. So there was no hope for me to go to school or do anything. And um, since since I was a little girl, I have always been like very nerdy and always wanted to go to school. So that was kind of like my main focus. I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to be able to go to school and 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 learn. And and that's because that was me. That was Ophelia. She was a student who put herself through a four-year private institution on her own dollar, working seventy plus hours a week, getting paid under the table to make tuition payments on time. Many undocumented students face this same reality and work hard to contribute to this country with public service as police officers, nurses, social workers, and plenty of other worthy pursuits. If the U.S. gets rid of DACA, the safety net, the unlocked door waiting to be opened by those who meet the requirements ready to start a new life in America, what will become of them? I do have friends that 
I know that they have DACA and, you know, they're going to school to be police officers or social workers. And I mean, right now they're just in the limbo. I mean, they don't know what's going to happen. I just, I had one of them call me the other day and he, and he's very concerned and very worried because um, he wants to be a physical therapist and, you know, physical therapists, they go to school for many, for like eight years at least. So he's on his fourth year, um, about to uh, get his bachelor's degree and move on to the next thing. And he's very worried. He's like, my work permit expires in a year. What do I do? Do I continue going to school? Do I stop and save, you know, so I can pay out, out of my pocket for like the next year of school, you know? And he's like, but what's the point of me going to school and getting a physical ther- therapist degree if... I'm not going to be able to uh, work as a physical therapist, you know. This report on immigration and the politics of fear was prepared for the Iowa Watch Connection by Madeline McCormick, a fourth-year digital media major at Buena Vista University in Storm Lake. It was produced from material originally prepared as a multi-part podcast on the topic. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. I'll tell you about next week's program in a moment. Thank you for listening to our report today. I'm Lyle Muller, Executive Director and Editor at the nonprofit parent of this program, Iowa Watch. Iowa Watch is part of an exciting funding opportunity through Newsmatch, a national campaign supported by Democracy Fund, the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation in partnership with the Institute for Nonprofit News and the News Revenue Hub. Every dollar you donate right now so that quality journalism like the Iowa Watch Connection can continue will be matched by Newsmatch. Your $20 becomes $40. It's that easy. Please consider giving through this great opportunity by going to the Donate button at the top of iowawatch.org. That web address, again, is iowawatch.org. Next week, how one city in northeast Iowa is battling nitrates in its drinking water and what that tells all of us about our own. That's next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.